Welcome to a Healthy Dose of Dialogue podcast. I'm your host, Don Antonucci, a senior executive overseeing consumer and commercial markets at Blue Shield of California. This podcast invites healthcare leaders to share fresh perspectives and engage in healthy dialogue about transformative marketplace trends and industry insights. Together, we're shaping a better future for people and healthcare. In this episode, I'll be bringing you more insights on trends in employer healthcare benefits based on my conversation today with Cecile Chang. Cecile is Health and Benefits U.S. Commercialization Leader at Willis Towers Watson. Cecile has been with Willis Towers Watson for more than 22 years, and her experience spans all areas of consulting support, from benchmarking to financial strategy to health management. She has worked with her clients to develop industry-leading solutions in mental health, cancer support, and global mental well-being. Thanks for joining me today, Cecile. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you are here. Uh, So I wanted to start out with, you've been, Cecile, with Willis Towers Watson for over 22 years, and Mm -hmm. you actually started as an intern in grad school. And since then, you've taken on several roles at the firm, most recently being named Health and Benefits U.S. Commercialization Leader. I wanted to start out and just uh, ask uh, for you to share a little bit more about what your new role is and what you're focusing on at the moment. Sure, thanks. Um, It it was an exciting new role to take. It's a new one within our company. And I describe it as, because on some level you could say commercialization leader, what does that mean? Um, one of my, my senior actuaries uh, actually joked that uh, that sounds like the first job that's going to be cut after the merger. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that that was a, a very good uh, spot of humor from yeah. our senior actuary. Um, but it actually ends up being a pretty crit- pretty critical need in consulting. And it's how do you take the rich data and intellectual capital and the solutions that we have in our company and and communicate them in a way that is really resonant to our clients. Because there is a big gap, right? There's a gap between what our clients need, what they're seeking, and matching that up to the great thought leadership that we have within the company. And so it's my job to help bridge that gap. We have 2,000 colleagues serving thousands of clients and to be able to figure out, you know, what are the most relevant issues right now? What are the most relevant issues coming down the pipeline? And then how do we set up content and materials to best serve those clients? That's my my perspective and my, my focus right now. That's great. When you think about uh, pre-COVID before that hit and changed the world for everybody in quite a big way, What are some of the ways over the last even decade or so that 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 job itself and that function has changed, Cecile, in your opinion, bringing that content together and really sharing it uh, with your clients? It's interesting um, to to think back over the past 10 years um, without the context of the past few months is it's a fascinating mind travel, right? But over the past 10 years, there's been an intense focus on meeting employees to be able to customize and understand their needs. And as employers, 
um, make significant investments in serving those employees, how to best tune those investments. And depending on how the economy ebbs and flows, um, there's sometimes more money with which to meet those needs and sometimes less, but the constant is always trying to get the most value. So if you have a dollar to invest in your employees, where is that dollar best applied to meet your employee needs? And it's really hard to do that with the broad range of populations, geographies, and now um, to a large degree, especially over the, 10 year, the past 10 years, an even more heightened sense of globalization. Just being able to meet this, the, the varied needs of employees has been um, what I see as like the biggest shift in focus. Um, of course, um, specific targets around, I would call them clinical states, but it, it really is more of like a societal state of things like loneliness, addressing loneliness, mental health. Um, you know, we, we sometimes take our eye off the ball of physical health, but it's still a huge cornerstone of health and wellness. And so, of course, you know, I think that one of the things that's also been a phenomenon is this broadening of well-being to include, you know, multiple facets. Depending on who you talk to, you'll either get anywhere from three to five pillars of well-being. But, if, you know, for me, it's um, physical, emotional, social, and financial, and they're just so intertwined. And I feel like that concept is something that emerged over the last decade. That's that's really insightful. And when you you're you've had so much experience across industries, geographies, uh, Willis Towers Watson serves clients all over the globe. What is there a way that you really intake where their needs are first? And do you see patterns? For example, are technology companies, do you see something consistent across them? Or does it really differ depending on where that specific employer is on the journey around health benefits and, and how they treat their employee population? How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you untangle that? And how do you, uh, and what patterns, if any, do you see there? Um, I, would, I would answer that as saying, any two companies or any two industries have an overlapping Venn diagram. It's just how big is the overlap, right? But the things that are always constant are focus on focusing on how serving employees ultimately drives the business results, right? That is a, an across the board. And then I think the different industry areas of focus really have to do with the amount of incremental investment that a particular company or a particular industry can um, invest in employees and then what's ultimately going to be competitive right from a financial standpoint and then also from a talent attraction and retention standpoint that's great that's great um you mentioned a couple times behavioral health and as one of those pillars and there's a lot of uh, data, Willis Towers Watson's produced it and others around the growing need and opportunity that really exists there and acknowledgement, I think, of employers that, hey, this is something important to pay attention to. Have How have you seen that from where you sit evolve? And then are you seeing positive solutions coming together in that space? Mm -hmm. um, I think that we have two, two, two ways of describing, or I would describe it two different ways. One is an embarrassment of riches. There are so many solutions to choose from, but on the flip side of that, that leads to analysis paralysis, 
right? Like, how can I possibly decide what's better? What, what do my employees need? Um, what resonates with a 21-year-old new hire that just came out of college might not resonate as well with a 50-year-old people manager with 20 years of service. So to be able to address the mental health or behavioral health needs of a population with a range of tools, one provides a ton of opportunity, but also a lot of burden, a lot of burden to choose, choose wisely. Um, one of the things I definitely see with our clients is a lot of resources and employees not being able to untangle them, right? So employee communication, outreach, figuring out what are the best tools. Um, everyone always says that people forget what they have when they're in a, in a moment of crisis. So how do you create a pattern around accessing specific solutions, a phone number, a web page, an app, so that when that moment hits, it triggers something in your brain that says, hey, I know where I can find a resource. My company has something around this. And so just figuring out the best way to um, create that communication and then repeat, repeat it like to the point where it just feels like it's um, just ingrained in people's minds that when I have a problem, this is where I can go for help. That feels to me like the biggest, most critical piece of it. Yeah, I've experienced that too, um, working with different employers where the ones that seem to have done the best are the ones that are passionate about it. Many times it's a top-down approach in the company where, hey, we're going to focus on wellness or we're going to focus on um, improving health with this technology or this point solution, and they drive it through and it's part of their culture. Uh, and sometimes, frankly, I'm surprised that we seem to, and sometimes in our industry, have this circular dialogue around we, we just got to educate or communicate, and there's not enough of a, re a replication, for example, of what worked for company A, why couldn't that work for company B? That's just my perspective. I don't know. Do you agree with that, or you know, how, how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I would say that if you're unsure whether or not to focus on program tuning or communication, go for communication, yeah. right? That most likely that's the gap. Um, and then the great thing is if you communicate, you also open a feedback channel and then you'll get good input from people with respect to what's working and what's not. Um, related to that, we've been focusing a lot on uh, vendor impact, solutions impact. So figuring out not just cost avoidance, because that's really not the name of the game for mental health, but what are ways to solicit um, NPS-like results with respect to how is this therapist working for you? How did they help you solve your or your family's problems? Um, how accessible were they? Did you feel like they were a cultural fit, a personality fit, and really trying to facilitate a better matchup? We definitely see employers moving beyond um, what I would call like block and tackling metrics to things that are really getting at the core of what people need. That's great. When you think about employers that you've worked with or work with that really have fine-tuned the maybe the point solutions and the communication to a great degree, um, I guess from your perspective, what makes that successful and then tied to that for companies that you then serve that maybe are in the beginning stages or just haven't been able to get there, what's the barrier of replicating that type of approach? So I would, three things popped into my head. 
kind of three steps. The first is to have conviction or passion, right? Like at the end of the day, there has to be someone who speaks with conviction that what the company is trying to do is to serve for the employee. And if you can find the right voice, the voice could be a very senior leader saying that this is something that's important to me, important to the company. It can be a group of employees who just take it upon themselves to be the spokespeople for an initiative. But without that conviction, you're not going to catch people. Right? You have to have people speak with passion. And then the second is commitment. Right. So it can't just be a flash in the pan like, oh, here's, you know, this week's focus is mental health. It needs to be something that has process and conviction and a commitment to being a solution through. And that's why I'm not saying that it needs to be X plan or Y program. It needs to have this many visits or a digital and in-person interfaces. All of those are really important to consider, but ultimately you need to make a plan and stick with it. And then the last element I would um, flag that I see as a, a component of success is flexibility, right? Because you design for one world and the world changes. And where I see some people getting tripped up is, hey, this was part of our three-year plan. This is what we're going to do. And you have to build in. It's, it's a fine balance because if you are too... Um, too easily swayed by what's happening in the moment, you lose the conviction part. But on the flip side, if you're so focused on doing what you said you're gonna do in 2017, then you lose the opportunity to take advantage of emerging solutions and also emerging needs in your population. So it's this combination of conviction, having a plan, and then maintaining a flexibility around tuning the plan that I think are critical. Love that conviction, commitment, and flexibility. That is excellent. When you think about the role of employers, uh, how important is the HR benefits leader role in terms of skill set and all of that um, related to really putting this in place in your opinion? And I know it varies by company size. And tied to that, do you see the CFOs and even the CEOs at times getting more and more involved in benefits or is, is that, has that evolved as well? Uh, yeah, I think there has been a ton of evolution and even more so in the past few months where the HR leader and the benefits leader are seen as true content experts, help us to craft the message, help us to understand what's happening and help to guide a path forward. So there's definitely a lot more of the seat at the table. Um, I think there's a respect for the HR professional in what they're trying to connect the human, the individual to the business. And over the past, you referred to 10 years, I think that has been a past 10 years phenomenon where the HR professional and the benefits leader is seen as a way to accomplish more differentiation as an employer than ever before. And I think there's, I have seen in many organizations, a nice partnership. I mean, there's always gonna be a good healthy tension between the CFO and the CHRO, but really I see emerging a partnership around the shared goal of being good stewards of shareholder dollars or company dollars, and then to use those dollars as an investment in ensuring that employee population is as well supported as possible. 
And when you you've um you get a chance to see a bunch of different technologies, services, point solutions, and when you are evaluating and Willis Towers Watson's evaluating those, but when you look at those, Cecile, what are some criteria that you have? At one point, you mentioned, uh, you know, NPS, Net Promoter Score, as something, and we know that that continues to take shape, especially in healthcare. Uh, but are there are there certain criteria you look you look for uh, that just make sense before an employer should consider including something in their portfolio of strategies? Well, and thank you for teeing it up because one of my favorite sayings in our in our industry in our world is a vendor is not a strategy, a solution is not a strategy, and so the number one way to assess fit is to define what your goal is. Right, as an organization, what are you solving for? What's the big solve, and what's the little solve? And is this particular solution that you're looking at, whether it be a vendor or an internal programmatic change, does it does it fit the little solve or the, the or, or is it a big solve? And being able to define that and to evaluate it against a problem statement, honestly, is something that I think should be more prevalent than it is right now. We think that there is a shiny new object element to a lot of solutions in our space. Um, I think it's really tempting to be attracted by something that has a great user interface. I mean, these are things that were never part of our, our language before, right? Uh, user interaction, employee experience, that wasn't a part of the, our vocabulary and benefits 10 years ago, and it, all of a sudden it is. So that is a wonderful thing, but it's also easy to slip into a place where you're seeking that over figuring out, wait, what? What's actually the problem here, right? And is this the best way to solve my problem, whatever I define it to be? So I think that's a critical step in evaluating fit of anything is how does it fit into your big strategy and then your smaller strategy. And is that is that typically, from your perspective, pretty easy to have employers start there or redirect there if, if that's not where they're starting? Um, or is that sometimes a challenge because, hey, this is just the process we go through. We we kind of heard about this from this employer, or we heard about this solution. We want to go ahead and consider it or do it. I mean, from your perspective, does it really just depend on on that employer and their leadership, or is that something that actually works pretty well when you sit down with an employer and, and work with them? I, I wish it worked out well all the time and easily. It doesn't. Um, but but not for lack of desire on the employer side. I think most employers, if they if you ask them in like a quiet moment, right? How does this fit? Um, how might this work? Is this the best place to to put an investment? They would answer with that broader knowledge. But organizations are complex things. People are complex, and sometimes the desire to do something in the short term overrides the desire to take a step back. And, and we see that. And I think this probably goes back to my flexibility comment where sometimes we just have to work with that and we put in something that makes sense. And then to me, that's like the small solve, the small strategy. And then it is then incumbent on you to go back and say, okay, 
we did this because we had an immediate need. We wanted to solve this little S problem. And then how does that fit into the broader strategy? And how can we create and surround it with the broader narrative? So I don't think, I, I cannot say that, you know, all clients that I work with are extremely thoughtful and, and very strategic. They are in their core, but we all have to flex to what's happening, what our leaders ask us to do, what our employees ask us to do, what the what the external market demands that we do just by peer pressure, right? And then we have to just also maintain that discipline around tying it back to the strategy. That's, that's really good. Uh, is there a, a particular client or project or example that you have that you're most proud of where boy, they really got it right from strategy to execution over, you know, some sustained period of time where you just look back on and you go, I'm really proud of that. And, you know, the work that that your team and yourself put into along with partnering with the client. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, one of the, the criticisms of consultants, right, is that you come in, you, you have the luxury of being able to have a bit of distance to evaluate, you know, how is your benchmarking? How are you performing financially? Is this um, program up to snuff from a competitiveness standpoint? But you don't really know what people feel, what the individuals feel, the employees feel. And so there's a bit of a criticism. And so to me, the best projects are ones where I personally get to hear from employees where I can feel and hear their pain and then have that be a part of my my mind my background and how i bring to the table a set of solutions and and that orientation it becomes so tangible right to feel what someone has struggled through whether it be a cancer diagnosis or mental health mental health of their dependent to hear those stories through um, listening sessions and focus groups, and then to really feel the problem, it completely inspires you in a different way. It, um, you get to the point where you feel so passionately about, so, so the solution to solve that need is beyond any type of project, right? You, you begin to then connect to the individual and solving for the individual instead of solving for a broader program. And those to me are the best projects because you you feel the end to end, right? You feel that what the problem is, you create a program or you create a solution. And then ultimately, like the best programs then have that loop around where you communicate back to that that individual. Does this resonate? Would this have worked for you? And then you you get to play that out over time. And just having that connection to the individual employee, I think is critical. Excellent. Turning to, to COVID-19, a lot of uncertainty out there for employers. I know Willis Towers Watson's done some return to work type of surveys. Um, from your perspective, how should employers be thinking about their healthcare benefit programs to support the changing needs of, of employees during you know, this pandemic and beyond? I can't believe it took this long to, to bring up the COVID word. <laughs> um, you know, it, it is interesting. To, to be honest with you, I feel like the most important disciplines are to be really passionate about research and data, to understand what's happening at a national level, state level, county level now. 
we have clients who are monitoring um, even within a sub county, right? Because your response needs to be extremely localized. So it takes a lot of discipline to stay on top of it because as you know, it changes on a day-by-day -day basis. But I think that is the, the critical first step. The second, honestly, it's flexibility. If you see how our the, the, the winds have changed with respect to concepts like mask wearing, which you know was discouraged early on to appropriately, appropriately save PPE for first responders. Um, to now a shift to really um, highlighting the important tool masks are for protecting individuals and protecting others around them, even more importantly than protecting yourself, it's like protecting everyone else. And so just to maintain flexibility around incoming data is really important. And I think um, the most effective employers I've seen in their communications are saying just that. This is an evolving situation. Uh, you know, we have a commitment to staying on top of the information and sharing with you through our communications, through our policies, to what we're doing with reopening the workplace for individuals and locations. It is our commitment to stay on top of this evolving information and to share that as just so you know, it is better to over communicate and then to change because of new data than to under communicate and have people wonder what you're thinking. So it kind of comes back to the communication and flexibility. Um, definitely time off programs are in focus. Time off programs to protect employees when they are um, ill or, or caring for someone who's ill. Um, you know, the flip side of that is there are a lot of people who are sitting at home not taking vacation <laughs> because no one could go anywhere. So um, figuring out what the financial impact of that is towards the end of 2020 is a big area of focus for employers as well. And then, of course, um, healthcare costs, right? Um, March to May were complete dead zones from a claim standpoint. And there's a lot of focus on figuring out where did that deferred care go? How much of it as an employer do I have an opportunity to affect? How can I help people to get needed care? Um, how can I direct them to the appropriate um, types of care that might be virtual, that might be local? Um, and just figuring out how to untangle that and then uh, uh, make appropriate projections for 2020 and 2021 from a cost standpoint um, is a big area of focus as well. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I've seen COVID-19 as well, just sh shine a spotlight on healthcare, on many of the dysfunctions that we have in healthcare, but it's also shined a light and and things like virtual care telehealth, right, where the train sort of now left the station and it was sort of that uh, impetus to really have people start to be able to get familiar with it and use it. But your perspective on COVID-19 shining a light on the healthcare industry the good and the bad, uh, what have you seen? I mean, fee-for-service as an example, hospitals are struggling that are in, in those fee-for-service arrangements today, services are down. Uh, that That's caused some issues, whereas you know some of these maybe value-based arrangements or capitated models have you know maybe been a good thing. What's your perspective on all of that related to COVID-19 in terms of that spotlight on the industry, the good and the bad? Um, I definitely think there's going to be more, more focus on value-based arrangements, um, trying to care for a population 
um, has never become more critical than now, right? And to spread the financial risk as a health provider is important because at the end of the day, we need all of these health providers to be able to maintain um, their ability to serve their communities. Um, but then we also need to make sure to protect the individuals as well to ensure that you know their commitment, financial commitment as an individual user is also within their realm financially, right? So balancing those needs is gonna be really critical. But I, I agree with you. I think there's gonna be a lot of shifting and changing. Um, but as we know, in this industry, things don't change overnight, right? So to some degree, it may um, relight the fire that was lit, what, maybe 10 years ago, right? Around focusing on population health and financial models to support finance, uh, population health constructs. Excellent. And more of a general question around your role in the healthcare industry. What keeps you up at night, Cecile, around where we are right now with healthcare? Um, I got to be honest with you. I sleep really well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, literally nothing keeps me up at night. Um, and I think it, you know, I, what's difficult about our industry is the volume, right? There's just a lot to process. There's a lot to keep hold still in your brain as you try to work with clients and partners. But at the end of the day, we also feel so good because we know that our work is ultimately serving people, helping them to have um, better access, better programs, hopefully better communication so you understand what's going on. And you know, my background is in public health. And so to be able to, you know, in my own tiny way, help my clients and help their employees to be healthier and to live better lives. It feels pretty good, you know, it, and I'm not at all kind of trying to paint a rosier picture than reality because it is tough. Sometimes it feels like a slog and sometimes it feels like I've been here for 22 years and we're still trying to solve the same damn problems, <laughs> right? But, you know, it, there's still problems that are worth spending time on. And you kind of transitioned to where I was going next is what gives you the most hope? What's the biggest opportunity, you know, that you see for meaningful, positive change in, in healthcare? I think employers are an incredible vehicle for change. In our country, healthcare change has largely come at the hands of employers saying, this is what I want for my employees. You know, and my public health background aside, this is where we are in this country. And when you see a group of intrepid employers coming together to solve something in their way, that's what gives me hope, right? There's of course technology. Technology is um, a part of what we're, we're able to look towards to help solve all, a lot of healthcare problems. But in this country, the, the way to grab a hold of those solutions and bring them to the population is through the employers and working with their employees. So I do have a lot of hope that employers will continue to, to take that responsibility and, and move forward with that commitment and that conviction around really serving their populations. Excellent. And for the final question, uh, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you would want to share with our listeners around uh, 
you know, what things could look like going forward or any, any other topics that you think are just important to touch on as we close here? I, I think the most important thing to me is hope. Um, hope as an individual for the change that you try to affect with the work that you do. Hope in people's ability to evolve and change and adapt. Um, hope that the company that you work for, um, in its pursuit of whatever its purpose is, uh, that they will ultimately want to serve the employees that so tireless, tirelessly work on their behalf. And I think if you don't hold on to hope about your individual contribution, your organization's contribution, then you lose the ability to feel good about the work you do. And it's, it's easy to be buffeted by all of the change that's happening to all of us every day. And you get your hope in different places, right? So for me, I get it in connecting with people and connecting with my clients and my colleagues and partners where you just get that glimmer, you have that connection and it gives you hope. And I think that is to me like the, the constant through all. That's excellent. Thank you, Cecile Chang. Thank you so much for your time. This is wonderful. Thanks for having me. And for our listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you walked away with conviction, commitment, flexibility, and also hope. Really well said. For more information and additional resources provided by Willis Towers Watson, check out their website at www.willistowerswatson.com. Join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives and conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Dose of Dialogue Podcast. 